Good morning once again and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Again, my name's Craig. I'm senior pastor here and it is absolutely our privilege to have you gathered with us this morning as we've come for worship. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. A couple of reminders before we jump in this morning. We do have a Next Steps class this afternoon. So if you've been visiting with us uh, once or twice or, or 30 times and you're curious what it might look like to be a member here, I would invite you to come uh, to our Next Steps class this afternoon at 4 o'clock. We will meet in the library, which is just right outside that door. So uh, I would love to have you with me uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock. At 3 o'clock this afternoon, our Refocus team is meeting, so pray for that with me. And uh, those of you that are a part of that, please be reminded to be here for that. I would also encourage you to pay attention to um, the, uh, the Christmas calendar. It was sent out to you in various different ways on the newsletters, on the website. You guys got a handout so you can hang it on your refrigerator. But uh, uh, we do have several things coming up next Sunday night. There's a, a bonfire. Our, our teenagers, our children have some things next week. They'll be, they'll be kind of camping all week. So uh, y'all pray for them. And then in two weeks, our choir cantata that we're looking forward to on a Sunday night. There's nothing going on this evening, but just keep in mind all the different things as well as a, a candlelight service that's going to be a little different this year. It's going to be midweek. It's going to take place on a Wednesday night. Our hope is that the weather will cooperate and we'll do that out front on the lawn like we did last year by necessity but we hope to do it this year uh, just because it went really well last year. So hopefully those are the things that are coming up as well as a Christmas Eve service. Please pay attention to uh, the announcements as Autumn sends them out each week and bulletins and newsletters and all the different ways that we try our best to communicate with y'all. We're not perfect, but we are trying our best to get that information to you so you, everybody can participate with us. All right, having said all of that, hopefully you found the book of Ephesians by now. Um, and uh, I like to make sure they give you plenty of time. I want to remind you, if you have to go to the, the table of contents and find it, there is no shame. It's a little small book, and sometimes it can be easy to run right past it. So if you're here and maybe you're not super comfortable or confident with your Bible, I do want to remind you, there is a table of contents in all of your Bibles. You can go right there to the front, and it'll tell you the page number that these books are on so that you can find them. But if you had any trouble, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, Genesis, Exodus, oh, that's the Old Testament. Uh, wow. Thanks, Pastor. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, right? And then you get into uh, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you have a hard time remembering that, I still remember General Electric Power Company, like a whole lot of y'all do, to get me through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. All right? Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. We need to mic the floor so that when y'all stand up, that comes through on the uh, on the the, the 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 live feed. They can't hear that. I get to hear it's like a like a like a stampede or something. All right. Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not your own doing, excuse me, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would show us your love in these verses. Show us the hope of Christmas and show us, Lord God, how it is not only that we may experience your love, but that we may participate in this hope by proclaiming the hope of the gospel of Jesus to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What is the hope of Christmas? Listen, I'm really good at guessing Christmas gifts, okay? Um, I, I, once Angela bought me this really awesome gift, I, I hadn't even asked for it. It wasn't on my list. She had found somebody else to give her this suggestion of this thing to buy me. And yet somehow I knew exactly what it was. I still to this day don't know how I pulled that one off. Like it was, it was, uh, she, she had gotten it for me. She handed it to me. She said, you have no idea what this is. It was wrapped. And me being unintelligent, I looked at her and said, I don't know exactly what this is. And ruined Christmas for her. Men, listen, there's one opportunity, one time when I believe the Lord allows us to lie. And it's on Christmas morning when your wife says, do you know what this is? I'm, I don't think it's a sin to say, eh. Or you can at least get around and be like, eh. You know, or best yet, what I've learned is just don't talk. Just say, wow, I, whatever it is, I bet it's perfect and beautiful and everything I needed. Unless it's a sweater that's ugly and then you can't wear it. But So Angela's gotten really creative during the years. Once she bought me a knife for Christmas and she wrapped it in a box that you could have two pairs of boots in. Stuffed it full of stuff. She even, I don't remember what it was, she put a, a heavy book or something there so it would be really heavy. So when I picked it up, I'd have no earthly idea what it was. Um... I never have wrapped gifts under the tree until Christmas Eve, ever. In fact, this year, every one of my gifts are apparently being delivered to an indiscreet, undisclosed location for a excuse me, for a, a discreet and undisclosed location for a discreet pickup somewhere closer to Christmas Day so that I can't even accidentally stumble upon them. Like, we've had those things happen where I just went to get the mail, and I was like, um, um, um. I have this weird, uncanny ability to guess my gifts. I don't know how that I, I developed this. I, I, when I was younger, it was a challenge for me, like a game that I was all about. But it can really be demoralizing for gift givers when I guess their gifts. So anymore, I actually work to avoid. I work hard to avoid guessing them. If I even have an idea that there could be a gift stuck away in some place, I, I just don't even go. Angela sent me to look for something the other day, and I got to thinking, you know, if I was her, I might would hide some of my gifts in this particular place. And so I just, I, what I said was I couldn't find it, whatever I was looking for, and then it just didn't go because I couldn't find it. I didn't go snooping around. Um, I, I don't want people to get disappointed, but, but you know, that, the hope of Christmas is not in me get. Can you all hear that, or is that just coming through the monitors? There's really bad feedback up here from somewhere. No, that is that. Who can go turn that off? Somebody. Thank you. Okay. Um, uh, but the, the, the hope of Christmas is not wrapped up in me knowing what my Christmas gifts are going to be. 
Matter of fact, the hope of Christmas isn't even wrapped up in gifts that will be given on Christmas Day. I, I, I love gifts. I love receiving them. I love giving them. I, I, for me, it is one of the greatest parts. Because some of y'all don't even like exchange gifts with your spouses. Listen, we can't do that at my house because I love everything about gift giving and gift receiving. It is great. But y'all, the gift of Christmas is so much more. What is the hope of Christmas? The hope is that the light has come. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been working our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So we find ourselves in Ephesians. And for some of you, Ephesians might seem like an odd place for us to have a, a sermon on the second Sunday of Advent. A Christmas sermon coming from the book of Ephesians. And yet, I believe that wrapped up in this passage of Scripture, we see the hope of Christmas screaming loud and clear. Because in these verses, we see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ exploding off of the pages. Here in these verses, we see the promise that even the shepherds were, for, were, were given as the angels appeared. Here in these pages, we see the promise that Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets foretold. Here in these pages, we even see the promise that Ezekiel foretold, that there was going to come one who was going to rip out our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. that give us hope for all of eternity. What is the hope of Christmas? The hope is that the light has come. But here we see, I believe, three ways that the hope of Christmas can be known in these verses of Scripture. The first thing that we see is that the hope of Christmas is the love of God. The hope of Christmas is the love of God. Now, God's grace and mercy scream here. This is a passage of Scripture that is usually used to explain the process of salvation. Here in Ephesians 2, and we're going to see that in just a minute, exactly how it is that salvation comes about. But I want you to see that before we get into anything that explains the how of salvation, there's the why of salvation. And folks, I would suggest to you the why of salvation matters more than the how of salvation. The why of anything is almost always going to be more important than the how because the why describes exactly why it is that God did it for us. Now, we are told here in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans what that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Here, these pages are filled with a reminder that we are born into sin, and as a result of our sin, we are enemies of the cross of Jesus. As a result of our sin, we are at enmity with God. We don't need to explain this. I don't need to defend this. If you have ever known a two-year-old child, you know that they came into this world sinful because they don't want anything except what they want. You never had to teach a child to be sinful, right? You didn't have to teach them that. They showed up here. I don't have to teach anybody how to be sinful. We are naturally selfish. I want what I want. And if you're in the way of me getting what I want, I'm inclined to push you out of the way so that I can have what I want. That's what sin is. Right? Sin is not always the egregious things that we associate with. Of course, sin is those things. Murder, adultery. All of those things are sin. But sin is rooted in the desire that I have for me to be satisfied, for me to be happy, for me to get whatever I want. And yet the Bible says that in the midst of all this, 
that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Paul says, hey, when you are living apart from God, dead in your trespasses and sins, we're not just in a neutral position. Paul says you're actually, as you gratify the desires of the flesh, you're also gratifying the desires of the prince of the power of the air. He says that you are living as a captive of Satan and sin. Well, that's all pretty terrible. But then he goes on and he explains to us why it is that God sent Jesus. He says, you were these things, you were children of wrath. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, watch, because, the because matters. Why is God rich in mercy? Because of the love that he, the great love with which he loved us. Folks, the hope of Christmas is the love of God. We cannot miss this. We must never forget the love of God. We can focus on his righteousness, his justice, his sovereignty, but we must never forget his love. We get to Ephesians 2, it can become one of these theological passages where we speak upon and we live on salvation by grace through faith and in so doing miss the love of God that jumps off the pages of God's Word in this chapter. When we preach Ephesians 2, we must not miss this. God loves the unlovable, sinners, dead, and incapable of goodness. But because God loves, these sinners are given life in Christ. Why? Because God loves. There's nothing in here that suggests that it's because I am deserving. You understand that? There's nothing in here that suggests that it's because I'm deserving. Love is not predicated upon the deservingness or the deservedness of the object towards which that love is directed. We love because we choose to love. God loves because God has chosen to love. Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Christmas that is, the birth of Jesus Christ, is not sort of God working this mathematical equation out in heaven and going, well, I guess what I need to do is provide a way. And this is bad, and this is bad, and this is bad, and this is an option that might just work out. No, the Bible says that God loves, that God sent Jesus because God is love. John three sixteen. Why did God send Jesus? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And all of our conversations, preaching and teaching and admonition about God, about Christ, about Christmas or Easter or the second coming of Jesus, about theological things, let's not forget this one primary point. God loves. God is love. God so loved. And God so loves. Folks, the hope of Christmas is rooted in the love of God toward people who do not deserve it. Do you deserve God's love? Listen to me. If you think you do, then you, have, you are terribly misinformed. None of us deserves God's love. God chooses to love us in spite of ourselves. We'll come all the way back to talk about what it is to have children. 
I know not all of you have children in here, but let me just explain this to you. When you have infants, toddlers, from what I'm learning, when you have teenagers, they don't actually give anything to you. They just take, right? Like it's, it's, I, I, they, 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 but, but you think about a, a, a small child. You bring a child into your home. You choose to love them in spite of the fact that they will rob you of your money. They will rob you of your time. They will rob you of that most precious of all resources, sleep. Right? And then after they rob you of sleep, they then demand of you to be patient with them because they are going to be horrible little urchins in your home. They're like little terrorists that move in and they seek to, un, they seek to, 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 to disrupt everything. And they're smart. They know that if they really want to bring disruption, that what they need to do is rob you of sleep. And once they have you tired and beat down and wore out, and look, you begin to second guess whether or not you're actually even a decent human because they've got you so tired and angry and you know that you don't know what you're doing. And I think that even when they're super little, they know that you know that you don't know what you're doing and they just use that to exploit their opportunities, Right? So they do something crazy, like throw their food on the floor, and you're like, why did you throw your food on the floor? And then you begin to go, I must be a terrible parent because my child's throwing food. No, you're not a terrible parent. Listen to me. They're smart. They know what they're doing. They, They did this on purpose because they're sinful. They don't earn our love. And yet, for those of you who have had children, you know, that that first child arrives and you didn't know you could love something as much as you love that child. My dad told me when our first son was born, he said, son, you're going to discover that you didn't know you had so much love in you. And it's true. And with each successive child, what I learned is you you begin to believe that you couldn't love another child the way you love. and, And you worried about the second child or the third child or whatever. But what you find out is that those children show up and your love's not divided. It's multiplied, Right? It's not like, oh, I need to divide this love that I have for this child in half. No, I just, the Lord gives us this multiplication of love. And I love that child. And and in so doing, I'm loving a person, a being, a thing that will, for most of their lives, give me nothing in return. I'm not hating on kids. I am so grateful for my children. I'm just being honest. Understand, though, when it comes to God's love toward us, We are not just needy. Folks, we are living at odds, at enmity with him. We are those children that are regularly looking at him saying, I don't need you to tell me what to do. You see, even if you never pulled that sort of Forrest Gump scene where you're Captain uh, Lieutenant Dan hanging off the, 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 the mast of the ship and, and sort of cursing the Lord in the middle of the storm, if you've never been there, we've all been in that place where we knew what God's will was for our life. And we said, no, I don't think I'm going to do that today. You see, the truth of the matter is often we're so much worse than that Lieutenant Dan moment because at least in that moment, you've got a, series, a scenario where a man at least respects God enough to speak to him. So often, we don't even respect God enough to believe that God actually knows what's happening in my life, and so I just turn my back and walk away. And yet, God loves in spite of all of that. In the story of the prodigal son, we see that God loves the prodigal, don't we? Not only does God love him while he's away, God loves him when he shows back up. The father's love is such that the father runs to this son. Folks, the hope of Christmas is so much more than gifts. 
It's so much more than that good feeling. And I love that little good feeling. You ever get that little good feeling at Christmas? Like, it doesn't happen every year, but sometimes you get together where you're famous. Like, everybody's getting along. The food was just right. Everything's good. It's not 80 degrees outside, so it actually feels like Christmas. I'm a little bitter about that. And you just kind of get that feeling. You drive through downtown Camden, you see all the lights. You go, it's so beautiful. It's like small town Christmas for like a little Hallmark movie. And yet the love of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, the joy of Christmas. Folks, it's got to be so much more. Because all of those things only exist because of the love of God. You understand? Because of the love of God. Because of the love of God. Why did Jesus come? Because God loves. Why did Jesus die? Because God loves. Why is God patient with us? Because God loves. Why did God extend mercy and grace and salvation? Because God loves. You say, but the only reason Jesus had to die is because we are sinners. Yes, God is just and he is righteous, but God loves. Listen to me. Somebody here needs to hear this. God loves you right where you are. Right where you are. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows what you did last week. He loves you anyway. He's not content to leave you in that sin, but he loves you. He may know that you are, or excuse me, he does know if you are held captive to the prince of the power of the air. He doesn't see you as his enemy, though you may be his enemy today. Instead, he sees you as a captive, and he has sent Jesus to rescue you because he loves you in spite of all of your sin. In spite of all of your shortcomings, in spite of all of your shame, he loves you because God loves. That's the hope of Christmas. The second thing we see is the hope of Christmas is this. Salvation in Jesus Christ. For goodness sakes, we can't miss this. We can't miss this. The love of God is made manifest in the salvation offered in Jesus Christ. The hope of Christmas is salvation in Christ, the gospel. Jesus was born of a virgin. We know that, but y'all, we can't miss the reason why Jesus was born. Do you understand that if Jesus had born and lived like anybody else, it wouldn't be a big deal? But because Jesus was born of a virgin, lived 33 years of sinless perfection, died on a cross for you and me, and rose from the grave on the third day, overcoming death, hell, sin, and the grave, that's why Christmas is a big deal. Jesus' birth matters because Jesus died and rose again. Jesus' birth matters because of the very reason that Jesus came. Just like the reason that Jesus came matters because God loves, the reason that Jesus came matters because Christ died. Paul says that because he loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he has made us to, alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's the hope of Christmas. The love of God and salvation in Jesus Christ. Good tidings of great joy. What if it just stopped there? But it doesn't. It's good tidings of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day a really decent guy. Who's really interested in that, Right? Some people call me a pretty decent guy. You get somebody calling, hey, there's this decent guy coming into town. You ought to go see him. You're like, ah, I think I'll just watch the football game. Shepherds, there's a decent guy being born over in Bethlehem. They're like, well, we got a job to do. I, I, I'm a pretty decent guy. But the angel said, good news of great joy. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is the Messiah. The one you've been waiting for. He has arrived. Remember that when we, our word gospel, it's translated from a Greek word. It's a big word, euangelion, and it means good news. So when the angels came and they said, good news of great joy, gospel of great joy, great news, what makes it good? It's good because Jesus was born, because Jesus was going to die and rise again. It's good because in Christ, the hope of the world hinged. Do you understand that Christmas is great for all the reasons? Do you realize that? Christmas is great for all the reasons because Christmas, no matter what anybody else seeks to do, it stands forevermore as the hinge upon which the world turns. Literally, history is interrupted with the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, I know that some seeking to seem as pluralistic as possible no longer refer to it as B.C. and A.D. as in before Christ and then Anno Domini or after the year of the Lord, but instead refer to it as what? B.C.E. and A.C.E. before the common era, after the common era. We've got, excuse me, just C.E., just common era. Well, guess when the common era began? At the birth of Jesus Christ. He split history. We must not miss that the announcement about Jesus is an announcement about a Savior. Paul is clear. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together in Christ. How are we saved? Listen, the how matters, and Paul is clear here. By grace through faith. Not works, lest any man should boast. In other words, guess what? Salvation is 100% the work of God. God has acted upon us in His grace so that we might have faith to be saved. Why is it not dependent upon me? So that God can receive all the glory. The second thing, it can't be dependent upon me because if it's dependent upon me, if I am responsible for my salvation, I may very well lose it. But if Christ is responsible for my salvation, then guess what? Those whom he has in his hand, nobody can take away. The how matters. The how matters. Right? Paul says that all who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why is this salvation open? Why is this salvation free and available and possible? Because God loves. What is the hope of Christmas? It's salvation in Jesus Christ. Why do we baptize we baptize for a lot of reasons. We baptize because Jesus was baptized. We baptize because Jesus commanded that we should go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we baptize by full immersion? Why do we go all the way up under the water? Right? Why do I put on weight? It'd be a lot. Do y'all understand it'd be a lot easier? Like, I, I could baptize with just throwing water. I mean, some denominations do that. I mean, we could, we could super soaker this thing. Y'all imagine? Like, I just set them down there. It'd be a lot of fun, right? I have a big water gun. We just, I mean, we could even go with like a water hose. All kind of things that we could do, but we don't. Why? We could probably accomplish this whole full immersion thing in another way. Dunk tanks? Y'all imagine that as like an initiation to the church? John comes this morning for baptism. We're thankful to have him as a member. And after church this morning, he'll be seated on the front lawn. Everybody gets a shot, you know? You imagine Carolina fans would be praying that we could find a quarterback in that moment, wouldn't we? 
Anybody that can hit the target, we sign them up. But we don't do that. Instead, we, we're full immersion all the way down. Well, we do that because the, the word baptized literally means is, 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 is a transliteration. So there's a difference between a translation and a transliteration. A, a transliteration would be something like if you go to the Mexican restaurant, you pull a, a word over from Spanish so you can order a burrito. You could at least theoretically go to a Spanish-speaking country and order a burrito and get something similar, a taco and get something similar. If I wanted to translate it, I would go and say, hey, I need a, a shell filled with meat and cheese. That would be a translation of taco, whereas I could just go, I need a taco. By the way, I've just exhausted my Spanish language. When we, we look at the word baptize, it's a transliteration of a Greek word, baptizo, and it literally means to take up under the water, to immerse. The reason we immerse, that's, that's number one. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So Jesus said to baptize believers in Christ. But the other reason that we go all the way under this way, rather than dunking it over and trying to make sure we get them all the way, way wet, is because in that act of baptism, there is an identification with Christ. I'm buried with Christ and raised to a new life. You see, how we are saved does matter. And the Bible is very clear that our salvation is the work of God. So that no one can boast. I don't get to stand up here and say, look at what I did. If somebody saves me from a burning building, I don't get to look at that, that, fire, that fireman later and go, you're welcome, I took care of all that. You rescue me from drowning, I don't get to then look at you and go, you're welcome, you got to rescue me. I did all that just for you. No. This is why we see news stories about people that were returned to fire departments and thank fire, firefighters for what? For saving their children, for rescuing their family. We'll see stories about people that are run into burning buildings and pull people out. People that dive into lakes and rivers and oceans to pull people and to rescue them from drowning. The Bible says that Jesus rescued us from our sins. And in our baptism, we are reminded that we die with him, we die to ourselves, and that we are raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. And it is the free gift of God so that no one can boast. The hope of Christmas is the love of God. The hope of Christmas is salvation in Christ. And please be reminded that salvation is the work of God upon sinful people. But watch this. Because it is the love of God and salvation in Jesus. Watch, we get to combine these two. Remember I just told you that God loves you. And now I'm telling you that that's the hope of Christmas is that God wants to save you. That God does save. So watch this. Because God loves you, He has made a way for you to be made right in Christ Jesus. And if you're here today then I can say to this with all confidence. God loves you and desires that you would have a relationship with Him and that if you would call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. What does that mean? That means literally, if you would pray, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I don't know what all this being a Christian looks like. But God, I know. I know that if I died today, I'd go to hell. And I need the hope that is wrapped up in Jesus. God will save you right now.
The hope of Christmas, the love of God, salvation in Christ. And then finally this morning, the hope of Christmas is the witness to the world. And I should say it this way, the witness of God's people to the world. Run all the way down to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship. Well, let's, let's go to verse 9. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. Then verse 10. For we are His workmanship. His. Who's His workmanship? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a lot of theology wrapped up in this verse, Okay. There's a lot of theology about how it is that God works in eternity past to bring about his good purposes in the present and the future. There's a lot wrapped up in here about God's predestinarian activities. But more than anything that I want us to see this morning is this. Wrapped up in this verse is a strong reminder that for followers of Jesus, you belong to Jesus and you've been created for good works. Folks, listen to me. The hope of Christmas is the love of God. The hope of Christmas is salvation in Christ Jesus. But in many ways, you are the hope of Jesus. Because if you do not communicate the love of Christ and the, the hope wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the world around you will never know that God loves them. That God has made a way for them. Some of you are so dependent upon the pastor's proclamation of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you forget that a whole lot of the people that you encounter on a daily and a weekly basis never darken the doors of a church. For a whole lot of people that you encounter on a weekly basis, they never read God's word. They never hear a sermon. The only hope they have at Christmas is that somebody that loves and belongs to Jesus would share with them the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the people of God would witness to the works of God with good works of their own. God created you to do good works. Now listen, let's pull this thing way on out, all right, before we narrow it back down. When the Bible says that God created you for good works, this does not only mean for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, it has to mean that, you understand? Evangelism has to be a part of who we are and what we do. But when the Bible says that God has created you in Christ Jesus for good works, it stands as a reminder that we should do everything heartily as unto the Lord. In other words, our lives should be regular reminders to the world that we belong to Jesus. Part of our witness to the world should be that as followers of Jesus Christ, we Act, live, and look like Jesus. I talked about this on Wednesday night. One of the fun things about being an adoptive parent is that you, like when, with your, for, your, for your biological children, and listen, for those of you that are adoptive parents, let me give you a little, little hint. This is one of the things I use in my home a lot. I remind my biological kids that I didn't get to choose them. I had to have them. And I remind my adopted kids that they're the ones I really like the most because I chose them, you know. Y'all don't have to do that, but you might want to every once in a while. It helps. It keeps the pecking order in line, you know. But one of the fun things about adoption is that, and especially when I'm speaking here, I'm speaking primarily about, about adoption, not, not, not like at birth, right? So, so a child comes to you, and it's hard, 
But one of the things, they come and they already have sort of a, a, a sense of style. They look a certain way. They, they dress a certain way. They come with clothes and they have certain desires and certain tastes and preferences in the world. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But over time, you, you, you know it's going to happen. But then one day you look around and you realize, oh, man, we all kind of look the same. Now, you don't necessarily develop the same facial features. My children are hoping they, develop, they don't develop mine, I know. But, you know, you, 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 you end up dressing similarly. You end up having the same de- 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 tastes and desires in food and even, even music and, uh, and all those other things. So, so Sloan and Brooklyn came to us at the holidays when they came to us many years ago now. And it was difficult for them. They, they hated Christmas music. And we didn't understand why, but the reason they hated Christmas music because they didn't know, they didn't know the songs that we all knew. So everybody's like listening and singing along, and it was so intimidating for them because everybody knew it and they didn't. And so even like the second go around, we realized what was going on, so we had to kind of work it in. And now, look, they're, they're, now they're good kids. They like Christmas music. And we start listening to it in August. But, but over time... Over time, and it's not just your adopted kids. Over time, all your kids, they, they begin to look a little bit more like you, right? They, they talk the way you talk. They tend to like the things that you like, and, and they rebel against that. They hit 12 or 13, they're like, I'm not going to be like you. And then at 21, they realize, oh, no, I am my father, right? Turns out we wear the same pants. We have the same shirts. I mean, it's just bad. You do it. It just, Y'all, we should look more like Jesus every day because we belong to him, but also we need to be reminded that we are created in him for good works, to represent him well to the world. When I was a student pastor, I used to, I used to have a talk with my kids. Every time we left to go somewhere, I would, I would remind them who they represent. I'd say, you represent Jesus, you represent your church, you represent your family. And then I would usually say, and most importantly, right now you represent me, and if you embarrass me, I'll ruin your life. Never mind, move on. Y'all, we are created in Christ to do good works. Now watch. We bear His name. And because we bear His name, the world is basing their opinion about who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and what Jesus is like, based upon what we do. What we say. How we live. And they'll generally either say, that's, if that's what Jesus is like, I'm, I'm interested. Or if that's what a follower of Jesus is like, I don't want anything to do with it. Paul says we are created, or we could say recreated in Christ, to do good works. Folks, the hope of Christmas is wrapped up for a lost and dying world in the people of God speaking about the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no easier time in the world to share your faith than at Christmas. Than at Christmas. And we're called to be witnesses to the world. Folks, do you find yourself, do you find yourself walking in those kind of good works? Regularly talking about those good things? 
Do you find yourself working Jesus into conversations, working your church into conversations? Do people ever come up to you and go, man, I know so-and-so is a member of your church, and man, that that person is great, and whatever's going on in their life, I'm interested in that. Do people spend enough time with you that they find out about the God that's changed you? Yesterday I was at the grocery store, and an elementary school teacher came up to me, and she said, I understand you can pick up 500 pounds. I was like, what? What are you, what? I said, yes, but why? Sloan told me. That's right. In Sloan's eyes, that's my youngest son. I'm a hero. Folks, when's the last time that somebody just caught you talking about the Jesus who saved you? Who made an impact, who changed you? That somebody walked up in the store and said, what's different in your life? That the people you work with notice something going on different. And you're able to share that with them. Listen to me. The hope of Christmas for so many people is you. You are the hope of Christmas. Not because you will bring about their salvation. but Because it is only through you that they will hear about the one who came to save. In conclusion. Let me say a couple things. First of all, I think that as we think about what it is to be a witness of, Chris, of Christ at Christmas, I think that we need to be careful that we don't become too legalistic in some of these things. Right? Right? That the moment you walk in and see the mall Santa Claus, if those still exist somewhere, that you go, it's about Jesus, how dare you? Right? We, we just know. What if we just allowed the joy of Christ to be effusive, to just boil out of us? That we look for opportunities to remind people about how much God loved them. That when we find ourselves in a store that's too hot with too many people, that rather than lashing out at those folks, we just find a way to, to be a little bit more patient and to share the love of Jesus. Looking for opportunities to communicate the gospel. But beyond that, Think about what it is to be the light of Christmas. A title of this sermon, The Light Has Come. I always have a flashlight on my Christmas list. So, guys, listen to me. I know we're kind of late in the year, but listen. I think I've told you all this before. I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to tell you how to not fail at Christmas. There's two options. Amazon wish list would be one. If you would just ask your wife to create one of those, you're good. But the second thing is this. If you would just create an, a, 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 a note on your phone, because your phone's with you everywhere you go, and you name it wife's Christmas list, and throughout the whole year you just update that, okay? So, and you never delete it. You never erase it because here's the deal. If you're paying just like two cents worth of attention occasionally, then you should be able to get six or eight things over the course of the year that she just happened to say she wanted. Now, you've got to pay enough attention to listen, but you're like me. You're not smart enough to remember it the whole year long, so just write it down. And then December rolls around, you're like, what in the world am I going to get? And you pull out that, and you go, oh, look at this. I can look like a hero right here because I wrote down kitchen knives. Right? And she opens up and goes, how did you know I wanted kitchen knives? Well, I just knew. I guess I just got it figured out. Just incredibly sensitive. The other thing is you need a friend, a sister-in-law or something, somebody that you can call or email or text and be like, hey, 
What does she want for Christmas this year? And then listen, guys, don't think you know more than she does. You don't. When that friend or that in-law or that sister or whatever says she wants this, don't try to be the hero and be like, well, let me show you what she really needs. No, 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 no. You don't know, okay? You're a man. You have absolutely no idea. When they send you the link, you just click order, and then you wrap it up, and you put it up under the tree, and they say, how did you know? And you say, I just did. Anyway, all that to say, I keep a flashlight on my Christmas list. Every year. So when somebody gets, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, Angela, what, what, what's on your Christmas list? Oh, it's a flashlight. And my theory is this. Like, if she, if she just desperately needs something to get me, she can never go wrong with a flashlight. I love flashlights. I've talked to you all about this. I, I have kind of a problem. Uh, don't, don't come and give me one, all right? I, I love you all, but don't. don't I, listen, I, I'm, I'm really stuck up about my flashlights, okay? Right? I mean, they, they have particular ones that, I, that I'm about, and I, 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 don't, I don't apologize for it. It just is what it is, okay? But I always have it there because, I mean, I'm like, hey, if I've got three and you just desperately need something else to get me for Christmas, you can never go wrong with four. I'll just put another one in my truck or put one in my office or whatever it needs. But there's always one there because you always need a flashlight. Always. Because when the darkness closes in, you've got to have a way to get out. There's a flashlight in my bedroom because one day the power is going to go off on that second floor of my house and I'm not going to be able to find anything, but there's a flashlight that stays in one place that I, my children don't know where it is so I don't have to worry about them actually getting it and borrowing it and it will always be there. It never gets used unless the power goes out. But the light of Christmas, y'all, it's obviously not something as ridiculous as my flashlights, but y'all, watch this. It's not even the Christmas star. The wise men followed a star that led them to the place where the Savior laid. Do you understand that that star, that star that is millions of miles away, a ball of hot, explosive, burning gases that eventually came to rest over the house where two-year-old Jesus was with his parents. That these wise men, they walked in with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But watch, they didn't bow to the Christmas star. They bowed to the Christ of Christmas. The light has come, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. But the light is not a star or a comet. The light of Christmas is the Christ of Christmas. The light of Christmas is hope. The hope in God's love, the hope in the gospel, and the hope and the witness of God's people. Do you need hope today? Do you need hope today? I'm afraid that one of the things that might happen is that sometimes we show up at church and church kind of becomes a country club. And we show up just to check it off our list. We put our jacket on. We look good. We smile. But the truth is some of you limped in here. You tried to hide that limp. You tried to hide the sin baggage that you're carrying. 
But the light of Christmas does two things. First of all, it shines on Christ because he is that light. But the other thing that the light does is not only shine us toward the salvation, it shows us the darkness, the sin in our own life. And so some of you may have sat in here today, and as I spoke and preached about the hope of Jesus, the thing that was glaringly obvious to you was that in your own life, there's brokenness and sin and shame. That you came in to check your box this week, to do your country club activity, to show up at the church. But the truth of the matter is that you need more than to attend this morning. You need to be saved this morning. You need to be set free. You need to finally today acknowledge that salvation is a gift by grace through faith, not of yourself. You can't do anything to earn it. But God loved you anyway. This morning, we're going to sing, and as we do, I want to invite you to come today and be saved. And even as I invite you, I want to encourage you to not worry about what somebody else might think, what somebody else might say. I want to encourage you today that even if you're not 100% sure what that looks like to be a follower of Jesus... You're a little intimidated by it. You're a little overwhelmed by it. That Regardless of what it might be, that today you would come and you say, Craig, I don't know that I understand all of this, but I know that I need it. I need Jesus. Can I make this promise to you? He will take you right now, right where you are. And suddenly this Christmas, the light of Christ will explode within you and change everything. When we stand and we sing, I want you to come. This morning, if you know Jesus, you may need, you may need today to think more carefully, purposefully, intentionally about how it is that you might be a witness for Christ this Christmas season. Look at those people seated beside you, around you. Think about those people that work with you and near you. Have you represented Christ to them? Would they be more inclined this Christmas season to trust Jesus because of you? If not, let me invite you this morning to pray, to repent of that sin, and to ask the Lord to give you a desire and an ability to represent him well to the world. To live in accordance with the purpose for which Christ has recreated you. To live this Christmas as God's good workmanship proclaiming goodness and hope to the world. Whether you need to accept Jesus today or you need to come here and pray as we sing, would you come? Would you respond? Would you not worry about what somebody else might think? Would you come today and trust Christ? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us from our sin. Would you move among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us.